I've learned in my past, in order to be like an entrepreneur, you got to let things go. If you let people have power over you, you're never going to move forward in life. You have to forgive. And it's a struggle with me every single day. It never ends. This is the Be Helpful Podcast, where conversations with budding entrepreneurs prepare you for the wild journey of building a business or side hustle. I'm Boy Adebayo, and today I sit down with Dana Broder. She's a professional stylist and owner of Art of the Style. You know, when I started this podcast uh, a little over a year ago, I really just wanted to explore entrepreneurship. I knew that I was going to be launching my own business and I wanted to get a purview into what it was really going to be like. And we're wrapping up season five. This is episode 30, which is kind of crazy to say out loud, but this podcast has just turned into an incredible exploration of people and their journeys and what they have gone through and what they're going through to achieve their dreams and i've just incredibly honored and appreciative for every guest that has been on this podcast and i think that the conversation with dana really embodies and really just amazes me at where i am kind of in this podcasting world she has such an incredible story such a personal story and her willingness to share it with me share it on this platform and have the mindset and the drive that she has given some of the challenges that she's had in her life is just incredibly empowering um i really appreciated her time we went really long in our conversation so i apologize if you see some of the cuts but it was just such a good power pack conversation about her journey, the things that she's gone through and how through it all, she's still resilient and she's still pursuing that lifelong dream of being a stylist and she's doing it. She's doing it well. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I think you will as well. As always, please leave a review and let us know what you learned. Enjoy and cheers to season five. The Be Helpful podcast is brought to you by Yensel. If you're looking for an easy to start side hustle with zero upfront cost, visit yensel.com. Yensel allows you to sell documents online. You can finally make money off of that spreadsheet that you made for your wedding or that travel itinerary you made for your last vacation. You can upload your documents and start selling in less than 10 minutes. Visit yensel.com to start your side hustle today. All right, today I get to talk to Dana Broder. She's the founder and head stylist at Art of the Style. Her specialty is in capsule wardrobes based off of her 10 years of experience in the luxury fashion industry. But if you're like me, sometimes you have that feeling of, I don't feel like shopping or I don't really know how to piece something together. Dana's the person to call. Dana, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm thank good. you so much for having me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I got to tell you, I'm super excited for our conversation. Uh, we've had um, some good prep calls and I'm just really excited because your authenticity came through. It's a story of resilience. So I'm excited to not only talk about your entrepreneurial journey, but all of the moments that has led up to kind of your success and where you are now. So again, 
thank you again for 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 being on. But let's start with the fun question that I start with all my guests. Uh, what did you want to be growing up? Stylist. <laughs> anything it. that I had to do that I didn't have to read, didn't have to write, didn't have to do math, anything that I could be a free bird. Actually, at one point, I wanted to be an actress. So anything to do with like, there's a saying, break the rules, not the law. You know that saying? Like that's yeah. DB all day. Um, <laughs> that's the way I live. So yeah, that's kind of like always what I wanted to do, you know, throughout high school, I was kind of like the go-to girl that was like, Hey, Dana, what should I wear tonight? Oh, Dana, like, come over. Can you help me like organize my closet? Um, also too, I was really good at blow drying hair. Cause as you can see, I have curly hair. So my mom's friends would come over and I would blow their hair. They wouldn't go to, they thought I was better than their own hairdresser. So that was like my little side gig. Now that looking back, I don't think I even told you that in my prior interview. <laughs> so I started like a little saga blowing out hair. So um, anything to do like artistic, that's where I shined. And unfortunately, um, no one really in my family, I guess, pushed me to be that person. I was an athlete as well. Anything that, I think it was more like my mom because she's so educational and I'm so not educational. Right. She couldn't really relate to me mm. because yeah. I was, I was different than her. Like literally we're polar opposite. The only thing is we have a quirky, funny personality, but mm. other than that, and we walk the same, but other than that, we really don't, we don't have much in common. Like I style my mom. Well, I used to, that's a whole other story. That's later on in combo. <laughs> <laughs> that was well, a long, I that was a long, that was a long answer. What I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> No, but it's, it's, it's fascinating because I think that through life, there's that recognition of what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, and then the pressure of what your parents want you to be. Right. Um, and that is very interesting that you're like, I always wanted to be a stylist. I always wanted to use this creative spirit that I had, even though it wasn't necessarily encouraged or supported by, by your family. I'm curious from your experience looking back or from your perspective, looking back on your time, how were you able to keep that young creative spirit and not just follow down that path of sports or education like your parents uh, or like your mom was encouraging you to? It wasn't that my mom would encourage. I think that later on in my story, I think my mom was frustrated and she didn't know how to raise a child that wasn't like her. Like, mm -hmm. how could you raise a child that was a good athlete? How could you raise a child that was a good style, like that was good at dressing herself? How could you raise a child that's good at so many things that she wasn't really good at? Um, and pull opposite, like she literally paid tutors to do my homework for me because I just like, she had no patience and it was just challenging for me and it made me feel very sad. Mm. Nobody really embraced it. And I think, you know, being, being born in the eighties and it wasn't like my grandparents were like my biggest cheerleaders and it wasn't like they knocked me down. It was just, wasn't really like a thing. You know, the thing was you go to college. I mean, you go to high school, you go to college. That really wasn't my plan. 
Like I didn't really even really know my plan. Like my whole life, things were just like, okay, if I had a problem, my mom would be like, okay, we're going to the doctor. My mom never really sat down and was like, so what do you want to do? What makes you happy? And it's sad because especially I was a phenomenal basketball player. Like I could have been in the WNBA. And I remember my best friend, um, her mom would always say, Harriet, you know, why don't you come see, you know, she didn't really never really came to my games, you know, and I was like, not a, like, I wasn't bad at all. Like I was very, very good. And like, even like the, my best friend's mom be like, you don't realize how good Dana is. And she's like, but I got to work. I got to work. So I saw a life of an entrepreneur. I saw yeah. what it, I saw what it took. However, my mother didn't have to work as hard as my grandparents had to work. They literally came from nothing. My mm -hmm. mom came from something. And I think she became addicted. She was a workaholic. Like yeah. I remember her tucking me in at night and the phone would ring. We have a, we have a, a, a voicemail. Like they can leave a voicemail. And she would, I'd be like, mom, please don't pick, please don't go. Please don't go. I'll be right back. I'll be right back. And then I would fall asleep. So that was kind of my life growing up and then being raised by a housekeeper. Like I had no siblings. So there's benefits, I think, being an only child and there's disadvantages being an only child. Um, I think for me, it was a benefit because I always wanted to be around adults. I think that's where I got my street smarts from on top of my struggles throughout my life, which we will get into. And I'm totally an open book because it is a part of my story and it's a part of many entrepreneurs' stories. Like you don't just wake up and say, this is what I want to do. And it's just going to fall on your lap and happen. Right. It takes persistence. It takes drive. It takes passion. It takes sacrifice. And it takes, you know, confidence in yourself and really, really, truly believing in what you're doing. Because if you let the noise of people telling you things, you're never going to make it. And it took me 37 years really to figure it out. And I didn't grow up with a father. Um, however, despite how I was raised and, you know, my mom, she taught me extremely good values. She always said to me, never rely on a man for money. Always um, treat people that you want to be treated. Never expect anything from anybody. Mm -hmm. And that's what saved me as being an entrepreneur as well. Um, because you're going to hear those no's constantly. Yeah. You're going to get rejected constantly. And you just got to keep on going. You're going to, you know, a guy didn't want to work with me because of my grammar. <laughs> I said, I can't, I can't do it all. I can, like, that's the thing. So you're going to hear things that, that are going to hurt your feelings. And I let that bother me for a couple of days because it brought up the past yeah. of, of teachers telling me and my mom, she's never going to make it. She's never going to really be much in life. Um, it's going to be very challenging for her to even have a job. Um, and to be honest with you, I understand where they're coming from. I was a very insecure, but you would never know, very sad, sad child. Mm. And sorry, I might get emotional because I'm an emotional <laughs> Sally. I'm, I'm, um, I'm here with you. So I heard that drugs and alcohol were a great escape method. But, I've, but however, I didn't get the memo 
that it also comes with a lot of consequences, bad ones. Um, and it was a temporary fix and it just made my life worse instead of getting better. But you know, the expression peer pressure, I didn't experience peer pressure whatsoever. I sought it out on my own because I couldn't take that noise in, in my head. I heard a long time ago, the silence screams the truth. Mm. And I couldn't deal with the silence anymore. So I started experiencing answer 12 at 16 was the beginning of being in and out of treatments and rehabs, probably about Mm. 30 of them um, Mm. between the ages of 16 to 27. So I went to private school um, in sixth grade with my best friend. And after that, that's when kind of things went downhill for me. Um, I went to a school called Frost Middle School. It wasn't in my district, but they had like a special like learning, um, just people with kids with like learning disabilities. So basically I was in a public school, but in a, but also had classes with like eight people in it. And then when I would go into the classroom of 30, there would be like an extra teacher Mm. going up to the kids like me that needed that extra help. Mm. So at that time, at that point, A, it was embarrassing. And B, how do you think I dealt with it? I became a class clown because mm. it was deflected that Dana was stupid. Dana needed the help. And that was a gift. I knew how to make people laugh. Anything yeah. to deflect like my, anything that I had to deflect my weaknesses, I would do anything. Mm. I would kicked out of class, I would spit in teachers' faces. I mean, I was outrageous. Yeah. So, because I did not want people to see my weaknesses ever. Mm. And the only people I really, that only really saw were teachers. I lived in the principal office more than I lived in the classroom. My peers knew that I was like a troublemaker, but they didn't know why. I mean, at that age, who knows why? Mm. Um, and the only thing... I've realized the only, all my mom had to do was look at me and say, what's going on? Yeah. It's as simple as that. What's going on with you? What's going on? Um, I've learned growing up in my past in order to be like an entrepreneur, you got to let things go. Yeah. Because if you let people have power over you, you're never going to move forward in life. You have to forgive. And it's a struggle with me every single day. It never ends. Like I'm always saying, I'm always saying I'm giving up. I'm always saying I'm this, I'm saying I'm never going to make it. it, Those feelings go through my head every day because your mind is very, very powerful. And it's very easy to go to negative versus to go to a positive frame of mind. And in 2019, I made a change and that's when I became my lone wolf. And I realized that I had to become one to boost my self-esteem. Yeah. First, I appreciate your openness. Um, the times that we've talked, I, I'm always leaving the conversation feeling amazed and just incredibly honored that your openness and, and tell me your story. Growing up in an entrepreneurial environment and also seeing the negative impact that entrepreneurship had had on you, kind of seeing your mom being a workaholic. I'm curious about how did you process or think about becoming an entrepreneur yourself and how did that potentially impact your drive or your passion? 
So with my mom, I saw more of like the torture, like not like the torture, but like, you know, but with my grandfather, more so with the jewelry business, I saw the passion. I saw the love, Mm. you know, when I told you about, you know, when, while I was living in DC and I would ask taxi drivers and drivers, you know, because the, the treasure trove was at the landmark. It was there since 1946. And I would always ask, so how, do you know the treasure trove? And this guy goes, and I remember sitting in the car and this guy goes, do I know the treasure trove? And he's going on and on and on about the treasure trove. And I said, he goes, yeah, I think the man was an Italian man. And you know, I'm Jewish. And he goes, he educated me what a diamond should look like. I got my, my, my wife's engagement ring there. My fr- and my, my wife's engagement ring there and 25 years ago, and he's going on. And I was like, can I tell you something? He's like, yeah, I go, that's my grandfather. Sorry, I'm going to lose it. It's okay. Go ahead. And, and he said, wow. He's like, you are one lucky girl. I am so honored. He gets out of the car when he drops me off. He's like, do you mind if I give you a hug? Mm. So that's a positive entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. So there are, there is double edged swords. Like my, my grandfather has been passed away since 2008. Mm. So the fact that people still remember him, that's, that's what, that's what really gave me drive. I think about those things versus like my mom, because it was too, because I was a child of an entrepreneur, like, like straight up. And I just heard, and I hear the stories of my grandparents being entrepreneur. And my personal experience is more like abandonment. Um, But to be honest with you, I don't really know if it really shaped me. I think it was just the fact that I came up with it myself because I didn't know what else to do with my life. Like I wanted to be a nutritionist at one point, but I couldn't pass biology. You know, there were certain things that I did want to do that required that you had to get an education and it just, I couldn't do it. I just, it just was way too hard for me, no matter how much I studied, no matter how much it just wasn't grasping. Mm -hmm. So I pretty much raised myself and I observed from others and how they acted as well. I think it's just when you, there's no better feeling, I think, working for yourself. However, you're married to your, you're married to the business. So there's always going to be ups and downs. That's why I love what I do. I have, I, you have to love it Yeah. because I saw the difference between my mom and my grandfather, between the yeah. love and the like. And for instance, like he, the, he lived about 45 minutes away from the store. And he felt in his gut, if he didn't lock the door, he would drive all the way back to make sure that door was locked. Mm. Cause he loved that. That was his child. That was his baby. You're bringing up a good point, and I, I do feel it in my my soul when you say it's constantly trying to please. I'm naturally a people pleaser. I go to therapy for it. Um, but especially becoming a full-time entrepreneur with a new kid, a loving wife, and I'm 
truly passionate about what I'm doing, I do feel this juggling act of trying to not have all of the formative years of my son just seeing dad on a laptop trying to do work. I'm trying to make sure that my wife doesn't get really frustrated and resent me or my business because it took her away from it. But I'm also constantly aware of me being a natural, a workaholic myself, every hour I'm not working on something, I feel bad about it. And so it's this constant pull and pleasing act. Um, pleasing act. So I, I truly understand that. And I truly understand the challenges that parents face and, and why people say, do take the risk while you're young and you don't have all the responsibilities. But there's, you bring up a good point about the, the thoughtfulness, the awareness and the intentionality you have to have to make sure that you don't become so absorbed in your business that other people are making the sacrifice for you. Oh, it happens all the time. I always feel like clients mad at me or, you know, but it's literally in my head. It's very, very hard dealing with, you know, my clientele who are professionals and or executives, and they have a very different mindset than me. And they're very about, you know, they want to do things maybe on the computer. And it's very hard for me to explain myself via, you know, typing versus me just like, let's just jump on the phone. Right. So I have to adjust or maybe have to say things like in order to have this best experience, things get lost in translation via in writing versus on the phone. And in order to really be an entrepreneur, you have to have that confidence in what you're doing and what you're saying. And this, and what I do is probably the only time I am super uber confident. Like you, I am a natural people pleaser. So when I deal with like executives and all these people that have really like powerful roles, being an entrepreneur, you better know what you're talking about, especially in a niche that I, I really can't, like what they do is my biggest weakness on the planet. <laughs> and like, yeah, yesterday was a prime example. I made a mistake and I ordered the wrong item for somebody because I read it because I read it wrong because of my learning disabilities. And I can't blame, I can't blame anybody but myself. I can't even blame my learning disability. I can't blame anybody. When you're an entrepreneur, you have to just blame yourself. Like you're, everything's out the window. It doesn't matter if you mm-hmm. have this problem, that problem, this, everything's out the window. And all I could say was, I am so sorry. It's returnable. As soon as it comes, I will set it up. So you just have to really have really strong communication skills, talking to someone that is so busy, especially this client travels constantly doesn't have time to have these little small conversations. So you better be on your A game. So um, I'm constantly in panic mode a lot (laughs) of the time, especially now in the beginning stages because of just of launching in May of this year. Um, Even though I've been in the business since 2014, it took me a long time. Yeah. To get my, to get to the point that I'm going to do this yeah. because like I said, cause it's, it's really, really scary be going on your own. It's like very scary for me. It was very scary. I, I, I think you highlight something that is, is very real and very important for entrepreneurs is that idea of accountability or the importance of accountability. 
Um, there are some podcasts that, that I've listened to that I greatly appreciate that talk about the mental wellness of entrepreneurs because there's a lot of that negative self-talk and what does accountability look like without beating yourself up? There's just kind of this balancing act, which you are 100% right. Like it's all on you. Um, and like, even when you have employees, you don't blame your employees. You have to take accountability for all that goes on. And so, um, that is just a very, it's important. I think it's an important trait, um, along with self-awareness to, to be able to have that accountability to make, be successful as an entrepreneur. And so I love the fact that you're, you're able to just be like, Hey, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I'm going to get a fix. This is my course of action because, um, Unfortunately, not a lot of people do that. Do you know how many times I want to say it's not my fault? <laughs> right. Especially like with retailers, like not delivering something that literally isn't my fault, but it is my fault. Mm. You know, like every, like it is like everything's my fault. And, you know, I, I don't, I tell my clients, I'm not only your closet doctor, I'm your closet attorney. I said, if there is an issue with anything, I will not stop until it is settled. Um, customer service, I think, is number one focus for me. If there's a problem with a current client and let's say I have a call with a brand new one, I'm probably going to push that back. Mm. And the only reason why is because I have this client now who's having an issue and I have her. I don't want to lose her. I don't know about, I don't know about this client yet. And I'm not curing cancer. I'm dressing people. Yeah. So, right. however, I do respect people's time. And usually when I do make a call, I always give like, for instance, it, even if it's a 15 minute call, I'll block out 45 minutes. Yeah. Because I'm so considerate of people's time. Because yeah. who, what I do deal with is people that are busy. Mm-hmm. Happens yeah. every time. Dane, I'm running a couple minutes late. Dane, I'm running 20 minutes late. I'm already mentally prepared that I already blocked out those, those at the, that, that time period. So no one can book a time with me. So yeah. you really, really got to understand clients. You really got to understand. You have to also ask them questions. What do you want in a service? What do you like? What's going to make you happy? If you are not customer service focused, that is a, that it doesn't matter. Your business will fail immediately. So we've talked a little bit about, your journey and going from young Dana up until now as an entrepreneur. But I want to go back a little bit and talk about what you described as those lost years where you were dealing with relapsing and sobriety, but you still had that consistent vision of being a stylist. And so I'm very curious about in those years dealing with what you were dealing with, learning the things about yourself and finding that confidence. What was it that kept your eye on the prize in pursuing fashion? And what experiences did you have that solidified that this was the path that you needed to go? So when I was 22, there were periods of sobriety that I had. And my friend, he was like 6'2". He wore clothes that were way too big on him. I said to him, you have no idea. If you wore clothes that fit you, it would game change your life. And 
he kept like, he would argue with me. And then all of a sudden one day, like randomly, he looks at me and he was like, okay, Dana, my next paycheck, you can take me shopping. So we go. And I remember I said, go in the dressing room. I'm going to pick out everything. And so I, I come back, I put, I said, try this on, try this on. I remember, forget it was a five, two, it was five, two, five pair of denim. They actually still make the brand, but they don't make denim and obey T they still make obey. And I'm sitting outside of the dressing room and he comes out three-way mirror and he's standing. He looks in the mirror. He looks at me. He did it three times. And he's like, Oh my God, you're right. I look amazing. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't even say I told you so or any of that. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is exactly what I want to do. Yeah. And then probably like a year later, word around town saying like, Dana's good at styling guys. So I actually started, I don't think I forgot. I think, I don't know if I told you that, but I ended up styling like other guys. And then mm-hmm. Dana fell off the wagon again. Mm-hmm. And because I wasn't making money from it, I was just taking them and helping them. If that makes yeah. sense. Right. So, cause I was young and I didn't know, like, it was just like, she's good at it. Yeah. Um, and in 2009, I saw an ad for Trump club and it was a styling company. And at that point in my life, I was like in and out of college. I was, I didn't have a job. I didn't feel like I even, I, like I've always been in retail and I just felt extremely lost. Like my friends had jobs and um, they were going to school and everyone was like kind of making, and I'm kind of like lost. And it was in 2009. And I remember just like, gosh, like, I wish, like, why is it not here? Like, why does it have to be in Chicago? And I remember I went for a walk. It was a very crisp day. It gets very nice in Florida. Um, And I remember just like crying. And I was just like, I just want to be a stylist. It's all I want to do. I remember looking up in the sky. I'm like, God, I was like, and I just wanted to be a stylist. And I just kept saying it. I, and I would have dreams and envision myself being one and like smiling, even though like I'm self-destructing myself, I'm still like still putting yeah. that image in my head. I still had that little bit of hope. I yeah. was that little bit of hope was equal to a, almost death. I experienced, mm. um, Oh yeah, I did anything, anything. I would go in the bad parts of town. I was surrounded with with really dangerous people. Um, And, but I still had that mini hope because I still, because some, that one person gave me that hope that I was good at something. All of a sudden, like in 2012, I I looked at myself and as much as I loved living in Florida, I knew I had to move in my gut. I needed to move back home. I'm from Maryland originally. Um, I wanted, I needed to be by my family. I needed, I, I just, cause I didn't want to live off my family for the rest of my life. It's a horrible yeah. feeling to, to, to be dependent financially, a horrible feeling. Mm-hmm. And so I moved back in 2012 and I worked at Equinox and I worked at the shop. They have like a little boutique mm-hmm. and 
I was there for about a year and a half, but I still like felt lost. I, even though I moved back home and I said to myself, well, maybe fashion school's where I belong. So I applied to fashion school and I was there for about a year and a half. I remember being on the phone with my girlfriend feeling sad. Like I'm still in school. I'm like not making money. Like I'm still sad, even though I loved being in school. I was at that point, I was, I think 29 years old. I mean, that's like not young and it's not old, but it was old enough that I should be self-sufficient and are financially independent and have something going on in my life. So I started tearing up and it was like in between classes and she had to go. And I went to the library and I just Googled personal styling companies and show club popped up. And I was like, and it's in DC. I was like, oh my God. I had no, I had no LinkedIn. I barely had a resume. And I don't know if I told you this, I went back and found the emails. Mm. Um, so I, this is going to be more creepy. So May 24th, 2014, I messaged Andrea, who was the head of sales. And I said, I've been following your company for since 2009. Uh, I'm really interested in the stylist position, but they literally just opened the office and I looked like a Joe Schmo. Like they don't, they don't know. I like, like I have no experience, nothing. I was talking to an ex coworker recently and Andrea, it was her first time and her first experience building an office. So mm -hmm. she was scared taking a chance. So I heard that side just recently. Mm -hmm. um, and she goes, Dana, so glad you've been following the company. Da, 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 da. She was just like, we'll let you know when there's positions available. Well, that doesn't work with Dana. So <laughs> November 24th, Dana reaches out. I like had no idea what the dates. I, it was the same exact 24, 24th. Yeah. I reached out to her again and I said, Hey, I just wanted to reach out to you again. Um, cause just to let you know, I'm super interested in working for trunk club. And I did not know this, but trunk club is all about persistence mm. and more than what you more than experience. Like they yeah. didn't care if you were a babysitter. They didn't care if you worked in finance. They just wanted to see a hustler. And yeah. she said, she gave me a couple dates and she's like, why don't you? And I said, I can come in December 7th. So December 7th, 2014 was my first interview at Trunk Club. And I remember walking in and I was like, this is where I belong. And I'm mm -hmm. going to get this job. I knew it was my last shot, my last opportunity. And I was going to do whatever it took to get this job. At the time, it was only a men's company. As they're talking, they said, okay, well, you have a, you have a sales goal and you have to have 500 connections on LinkedIn. I had no LinkedIn. Coincidentally, I knew a guy that had a vast network and I knew one guy that could afford a shop. Mm -hmm. Um, so Dana went to work. I said, you call everybody. I got to hit this goal. And I'm getting neurotic here because the, in my mind, I had to hit the, like, I, I thought I had to hit this goal, but they wanted to see how hard you work to hit the goal. Cause they know yeah. that you're, they're not giving you any leads. You have to find your own people to shop with you. Right. So it all takes persistence. I had zero connections. I got 500 in two weeks. Wow. I just delegated my time 
And I spent hours just friending, uh, connecting, connecting, love to connect, love to connect, love to connect. So then at the end of my two week trial, I surpassed the goal, probably about uh, probably a thousand dollars. Um, however, they were very about a culture fit and they didn't think I was one. I was hysterical. I was like, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. So they called me in and they said that one of the service team members said I was rude to her. I know my personality. The only thing I can say about going to treatments and treatments and treatment centers, I learned self-awareness. I learned a lot about myself and I learned sometimes you got to humble yourself, even if you're even, even if you are right. So I had to talk to another director who confronted me on the situation. And she said, she told me what happened. And she said, and I said, I didn't even like hear her. All I heard was someone complained. Mm. I said, who I got, who I got apologized to. And then she was like, what? I think she was expecting me to say, no, I did it. No, I did right. And I said, who I got to apologize to. And she told me who she was. The girl was eating lunch. And I, one of my niece. And I said to her, I'm really sorry if I was rude to you. Can we please start over? Because I really want this job. And she was like, and she smiled and she said, yeah. They put me on another two-week trial. I was the only one that was on a month trial. I was hysterical. I still didn't get that. Yes, they wanted they wanted to make sure I was that culture fit. But my director saw something in me and she fought for me. And she looked at me and she said, do you want, and I was still in school at the time, enrolled. She goes, do you want a, do you want a career or you want education? I said, I want a career. Mm-hmm. So that was that. And, but Andrea still did not, she didn't look at me for a month. Mm-hmm. She, and I just was like, I'm going to prove her wrong. And Dana went <laughs> with laser focus. I was just like, I am, go- I'm, I got it. I got it in my mind. I was just, I, I had to prove it to myself mm-hmm. more than like to her. Cause I was just like, I really want, I never, ever got recognition in life about being good at anything. You know, right. and if it's going to be something, it's definitely going to be styling. So um, I wasn't used to phone sales because in Trunk of, there were no walk-ins. It was cold calling and leads. And, you know, in the beginning, I was like hiding in the corner. Like, who is this girl hiding in the corner with the phone? So I was still a little insecure. And then I ended up training, pe- training people on the phone. Yeah. Cause it's all about writing a pitch down. Right. So I remember my goal was about $20,000 and I did 38,000 mm. and I had no idea to the end of the month. We always have end of the month meetings, telling recognitions, company updates. Um, Trunk Club was a phenomenal company. It was a very transparent company and it was a startup at the, at the time. So it's so startups are so much fun. <laughs> and Fun and stressful. And they announced that Dana sold the most ever in their first month in the history of Trunk Club. And I looked and I was like, what? And I was, and like, everyone's like giving me a standing ovation and clapping. Mm -hmm. And I was never like used to that. So I remember walking away and Andrea comes up to me and she goes, hey, Dane, went to, hey, Dane, 
she went from ignoring me to hating. And I was like, yeah, she's like, I'm glad we hired you. And I started to choke up. And I don't know if you went back to 2009 and looked up in the sky and said, all I wanted to be was a stylist. And when she said that, I walked outside, tears rolling down my face. I looked up at the sky and I said, thank you for listening to me. It's just like crazy when you really, really, really want something, it will happen. Not right away. It's not going to happen right away. You just have to always, you have to think about it, dream about it. A lot of times I go to bed and I envision myself doing something and it happens. Not right away though. It's not like I have like superpowers and it happens. You just have to really believe in yourself and you have to just say laser focus. So for then, that was the first day in my entire life that Dana had confidence. It was in February in 2015. Dana grew up and all of a sudden Dana was the superstar. Dana was like, it was a very unfamiliar feeling, but a feeling that I've never experienced. And my ex coworkers, the Dana, you're so obsessed with trunk club, but I don't think they really understood why I was so obsessed with trunk club. It saved my life. I became financially independent I was able to mentor other stylists, how to become better ones. Um, I remember looking at, at um, my director and um, the other directors and saying, I want to be the first one in the company to sell 100K a month. And they're like, okay. I said, no, I'm going to do it. The end of my first year, I did it. Like I ended up doing 106000 and when you hit like all these milestones in life that I never experienced, and then my boss looking at me and treating me like, you know what? You're amazing at what you do. Yeah, you have weaknesses. Hand over your weaknesses. So then time went on. However, Dana started to act like her mom at Trunk Club. I became a workaholic to a point that wasn't healthy. It wasn't healthy at all because I was so passionate and it was so exciting and new. I didn't take care of myself physically. There were days that I would just keep working and just not eat and just keep going and just keep going into the point I would start being snappy with people I just got very, 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 very obsessed and um, worked. There was a time I worked, I think, seven days a week for seven weeks straight. And for an entrepreneur, yes, that that's very normal. But today I take care of myself. Like I take a lunch break. You know, there's certain things that I would, I wasn't, that I learned yeah. from there, from learn that I learned at Trunk Club that I have applied to my owning a business now because at Trunk Club, it was like you, it was like almost like your own business because we could come and go as we pleased. We didn't have like set hours. Um, however, I was forced to take a medical leave and it kind of disrupted my business. It was a learning lesson for me. Um, when you don't, when you're not, when you're not enough sleep, when you're not eating correctly, that's why it's very important to really 
have a set schedule. Like I try to wake up, listen to some type of meditation. I always eat breakfast. You know, there are certain things that you do have to apply to be successful too. At least like for me, everybody's different. I felt like I had to to respond right away. And like all these things I had to do right away because of the natural people pleasing. And it really does get in a way because they can wait a minute. People can wait a minute. But I felt like I could, I had to like respond right away or else I was going to lose that person. It was not healthy. Today I'm able to say, okay, guys, I'm going to be unavailable this time, this time, and just to set the expectation. And it's totally okay. So, but back then I didn't think it was okay. And I learned the hard way, you know, it was hard. People were calling me crazy and, you know, dealing with all those negative rumors and, when I, when I came back, I was like, oh, Dana, it's good to be back. Da, da, da. But deep down, like it just wasn't the same for me anymore. Um, also, too, we got bought out by Nordstrom. I love the people that I worked with, but it, I knew in my heart it was time for me to go. There was another chapter waiting for yeah. me. And um, it was a great experience. It gave, if it, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Trump Club, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now. I ended up moving back to Florida, planning on opening my own business in 2018. And I got my first client sitting by the pool. I had no idea what I was doing. I winged it. I didn't have a website, didn't have a price, didn't have nothing. And he was, uh, it was a, it, the wife was like, oh, I hate, I can't stand the way my husband dresses. He owns his own company. And I said, I got you. So I did it in a way that I was like, okay, I'll take your credit card. I'll go shopping. And and I did all this, but I had no plan. I didn't know what I was charging. I didn't know the experience was extremely sloppy. And mm-hmm. that, that really set me back that experience, that one experience, yeah. because he, this is what they said. Do I have to pay this every single time? And I was like, oh my God, like, I'm so embarrassed because this is my company. Now I'm like trying to start a company and they're already complaining. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was still, and this is kind of like when, you know, I had, I, I still had money in the bank and I had, um, I never had to worry about finances. I never had to worry about, you know, if I was ever going to be homeless or be on the street or whatever. So sometimes when you have, you know, you have a cushion, it's it's easier to give up versus when you don't have a choice to give up. You just don't because you got to pay the bills. So that set me back. So that set me back and I put, it put, it made me feel really, really sad. I was like, and I said to myself, I don't think I can do this. And at the time, like all my Mm. clients from trunk club, like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What do we do? And it was the perfect time to uh, transfer over, but today they forgot about me. It's been, it's been, I started in 2022. So that was another lesson learned. However, in 2018, later on in like September, I got a job working at uh, Bloomingdale's as a stylist um, for men. And I was the men's stylist at there. And 
I was allowed to like walk around and I saw this woman and she was really frustrated because she couldn't find jeans that fit. And I looked at her, I knew exactly what brand that would fit her like a glove, but we didn't sell it. So I said to her, get this brand. It's going to fit you like a glove and take my number. So she took my number and she's like, oh my God, thank you so much. She bought seven pairs. She's like, they fit. She's like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What do you do? Do you do this outside? And so I'm like, maybe I'll start back up again. Maybe this is another opportunity for Dana again to try again. So I went to this woman, I went to her house. I charged my value at that time. I thought my, Mm -hmm. what my value was. I know contracts. I know like paperwork. I had not like, I just was like winging it all over again. And she used me and then she referred me to somebody else. And then she started sending me pictures. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? It's very easy for me to say, Oh, that looks great. But now my, my, my opinions cost money. And I didn't know, I was like, I didn't know how to say like, yo, like you want my opinion, you got to pay me. Like, I didn't know how to do this. So I just ghosted instead of having the confidence and saying, I love you. I said, I'll be more than, I said, if you want to set an appointment, that's great. But unfortunately you got to set an appointment with me and I'll be more than happy or something along those lines. But my, I can't tell you my, like my, I can't tell you my opinion. I'll I'll be broke. Like this is my, my livelihood that opportunity set me back again because I ghosted. Like I couldn't, I didn't have the confidence to say, I can't give my opinion because one of my clients, he's a photographer and he warned me because he's in that same world. What's the, what's the big deal? He's taking a picture. What's the big deal? It is a big deal. It's his livelihood. Right. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy because, you've gone from this really high of landing your dream gig at trunk club to burning yourself out and having to take medical leave. And now having a number of setbacks, trying to do this thing on your own. Like when we talked earlier, you shared that during that same period, you lost your grandmother, you lost communication with your mom and you had to deal with a really unhealthy and unprofessional work environment. Um, and that left you again needing to figure out how to make ends meet. So through all of these countless challenges, like where did you find the motivation to rebuild your courage and keep pursuing this dream of owning your own styling company? Um. I really started diving into listening to motivational speaking and, you know, a lot of people find it cheesy and whatever, but if you know somebody and they are where you want to be, but you're not there yet, go to them because they're not going to knock on your door. You got to knock on their door. And that's what I started doing. I started to just listening to people because I had no mentors. I didn't have a father and when you're a child, that's where you get your self-esteem. You can rebuild your self-esteem when you get older. It just takes a lot more work. I grew up with friends and I was kind of like the scapegoat of the friends. But it was getting to the point that I didn't have the time to talk about nonsense anymore 
because I didn't have time. I had to like, I had to figure out how I was going to make money. So I remember my friend texted yeah. me and I would never do this in a million years and saying, Hey, Dana, I called you. And I said, yeah, I know. I didn't want to pick up the phone. And that was the last time I really said anything because feeling lonely as a child, it prepped me to being a lone wolf. And yeah. sometimes that's being an entrepreneur. You have to sometimes be one in order to become successful. And Dan Penna, Tony Robbins, Sylvester Stallone was one of my, one of my biggest motivations. And I needed to hear a man speak for some reason. And I don't know why I just mm. did. And it just, it just, for some reason gave me uber confidence. There was a time I wanted to get my real estate license and a lot of people in Florida have their license. And I remember a guy looked at me and he said, why do you want to get your real estate license? Everyone has it. I go, because not everyone's me. And that's the thing. And yeah. that's when I learned how to fake it to make it. Sometimes I fake my confidence. I really, I do because your words are very, very powerful. Like your head. Sometimes I, I, I look in the mirror every day. I'm beautiful. I'm great. I'm amazing. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it really, really does. No, work. It's good. That's healthy. And because my finances were cut off, there were points I was borrowing money from clients. Clients were lending me money. I mean, talk about humiliation because my clients became my friends, a lot of them. And I became close with them and they knew what I was going through and they invested in me. And also too, I had clients, some clients reach out to me saying, oh, I want to style, but I had to pay for these services. But I had like, it's almost a blessing what I went through. But it, it's been it's been a very challenging road. There were there's nights I was up all night long on the computer, ideas, thinking of ideas about what to do about my business because the American dream is to work for yourself, you know, not to work for anybody else. But unfortunately, I had to still work in order to run my business. And even though I was still working on the side, so when I would get home from work, I would be because I didn't. Like I didn't have the money to build my web, to have someone to build my website. I taught myself how to do it. I didn't know how to do it, I, but I taught myself. So when yeah. I would go home, I would do my content and my days off. I would network, I would network, try to pitch people, you know? So I was working even for someone else. I was still working for art of the style. So I had that set up. So I started networking again. Then I got another client and then another client and then another client. It just kept going and going and going because when you don't have a choice and you need to make money, you just got to keep on going. I didn't have time to feel sad and feel sorry for myself. And I'm still continuing since May. I've been busy ever since, like literally, and I haven't stopped. So if something doesn't go your way, you don't have time to get sad. You just got to keep going depending on what you, what situation you are in your life. But if you really want something to go, you, you have to stay laser focused and you can't let your emotions get to you. That's why I say Dana gets a day. I let myself have that one day of being hysterical, but the next day I hustled. I was just like, okay, it's the next day now. Let's, I got to, got to keep on going because if I let them have that power over me, I'll lose my, I would lose my, my fur babies. 
And yeah. that wasn't, I wouldn't, no ways I, that was not going to happen. I, I really like that. Uh, give yourself a day and get back to hustling the next day. Um, I'm going to have to incorporate that into my mentality when I have those really frustrating moments or really down moments. Um, so I want to transition to some of our quick hitters. Um, before I do that, I just want to say thank you. Um, you know, this has been great and it's incredible to hear how you've dealt with these life challenges and to see where you are today and to have the mindset that you have. It's, it's truly humbling. And I've got a sheet full of notes <laughs> for uh, content and clips that I want to use in the future. Um, okay, so let's get to the quick hitters. Um, let's start with the first one. What books, articles, or readings would you recommend to other entrepreneurs? I kind of just try to find articles that relate to how I'm feeling that day, you know, or I think it's really important to know, uh, in my industry, I don't see anyone as a competition because nobody's me and I'm not them. However, when it comes to like business models, I think it's good to ask questions to your customer base. Like who is your customer? Um, Doing all this market research on, I'm just a big, I'm a big time Googler and any question that I have in my head, I just Google because every problem has a solution. Literally. Yeah. I like it. All right. What, um, what question should we ask the next guest? Would you want to have a partner starting a business or would you prefer being solo? It's a really good question. Cause I rather, Do I wish you, I had a partner. You wish you had a partner. Yeah. I was, gonna, <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> I, I, oh my God. Cause it's so easy to bounce off. My, my mom taught me that my mom, that's why it was easier for her to really launch her really launch because she had a, she had a sounding board because sometimes when yeah. you're, you go back and forth in your head and things take longer. Yeah, absolutely. So how can people find and find you and connect with you? So you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. Um, and also my website, www.artistyle.com. I live in West Palm Beach, Florida, and I style from here to Miami. So in person and throughout the United States. So virtual styling and concierge styling. Awesome. That's where you can find me. (laughs) Awesome. Dana, thank you so much for sharing your story. This was incredible. Um, Like I said, every time we talk, it's it's just incredibly inspiring and and, and motivating. Um, And I'm excited for the rest of your journey. And uh, we'll just kind of keep supporting each other. So thank you again for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And um, have a great day. Thanks for tuning in. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit BeHelpfulPodcast.com for more content, tools, and resources that will help you along your entrepreneurial journey. Thanks for listening and see you next time.